Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The New Testament lesson for today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. This can be found on page 1150 of your Pew Bible. Joyful giving of resources to the advancement of the gospel is demonstration of a believer's gratitude to God for the abundant grace that has been bestowed upon him. A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with the sixth verse. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By his approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission for confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for and pray for you. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Today we are concluding a four-week series that we've called Giving It All, where we've seen examples of people in the Bible who have given sacrificially and generously. We started by looking at Mary, who gave sacrificially by pouring out her ointment upon the feet of Jesus. We saw Jesus himself at the Last Supper breaking bread and pouring out the wine as a symbol of what would happen to his body and his blood, his life poured out for the sake of others. And last week, we saw Jesus giving himself over, even into the hands of violence, in order to stop the cycle of revenge. And today, we receive a call from Scripture, a call by God to ourselves be generous, to be sacrificially generous. And I've noticed that something happens in us, something happens in our hearts when we are called to give sacrificially. There's something in us that resists the idea to give sacrificially, to give till it hurts. And I think the reason that we resist this idea is that we've come to believe the narrative of culture and the narrative even of our own sinful hearts. The narrative is that in order to be happy, we have to accumulate for ourselves lots of things and prestige and honor. 
We think in order to be happy, we have to accumulate things to ourselves. And to give sacrificially, well, that's a high task because if we're really being honest, we don't want to sacrifice. We want the people around us to serve us. And if we think, if we accumulate things and have people serve us more, then we'll be happy. But the promise of the Bible is not exactly that. The economy of God is different. It says that when we give sacrificially, we experience something surprising. We experience something amazing. Joy. When we give it all away, we experience joy. This cheer, this cheerful giving that we're called into is the topic of today's scripture. So let's open our ears to hear this call of God, this invitation from God. It's 2 Corinthians 9. And if you've put your pew Bible away, I would ask that you just open it up again. There's a couple of things right in the text I want us to see that you're not going to see if you just look at the text on the wall. So go ahead and open your Bibles again, your pew Bibles. Who has the page number for us of 2 Corinthians chapter 9? What is it? 1150. Who said it first? Because you're the Bible scholar of the day. You get the A. The A of the day. Was it Bob? Coach Kai? Thank you, Bob. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, on page 1150 of your pew Bible. This invitation to be generous, this invitation to cheerful giving, starts with Jesus. We're going to begin with verse 9, and normally in our Western minds, we read things in a linear fashion, beginning, middle, and end, but notice something on your page. This is why I wanted you to open your Bible. You see how verse 9 is bracketed out? And it's right in the middle of this section, this call to sacrificial generosity. We normally read things beginning, middle, and end, but in the biblical texts, often the punchline is in the middle. And that's what we have in today's scripture, this cheerful giving, this invitation to sacrificial generosity. Listen to who it begins with. It begins with Jesus, verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. And it's talking about what Jesus has done for the poor. What does this mean? This means that all of us, because of our sin, we have a debt that we cannot repay. But God in his generosity has sent Jesus to the cross to pay that debt for us. He has given generously. He's distributed freely. He has paid our debt You realize what this means in this equation, who we are in this equation. We are the poor. Jesus said in his opening statement, I am good news to the poor. And here we see an example of it. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. And this is a surprise in the text. For us to be generous, we have to begin with an understanding that we are poor. We often think in opposite terms. We think in order to be generous, I got to get rich. I've heard it a lot of times over the years. People say, oh, if only I could win the lottery, then I could be generous. Or I'm waiting for this deal to come through for my business so I can get a bonus, I can get a paycheck, then I'll be generous. But according to the economy of God in the Bible, it begins, generosity does, not with realizing that we're wealthy, but with realizing that apart from Christ, we are poor. In his wealth, in his spiritual wealth, he gave his life for us on the cross in our poverty. He's paid our debt. That's where it begins, cheerful generosity. The formula is different. It's a surprise. It's different in the economy of God. Speaking of formula, 
We see one in verse 6. Now let's begin at the beginning in verse 6. The point is this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth regarding a gift that was given from the church in Macedonia. The point is this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now again, if this story is primarily about Jesus, look at what this might mean. Jesus didn't sow sparingly. He sowed bountifully. He gave generously. He gave his life. Nobody has ever outgiven Jesus because he stepped down from the throne of glory. He came into this sin-stained earth and he died on the cross in our place. He bled out. That's the most generous anyone has ever been. He reaped, he sowed bountifully. And he himself described when his body went into the earth, he described it as a seed. And just as a seed goes into the earth and then bears much fruit, his sacrifice and his resurrection has borne the fruit of the church. One man died for the sake of others. And look at the harvest now. This room is full of the harvest. Two billion plus people around the world. He reaped, he sowed bountifully, and now the harvest is also bountiful. God And then in verse 7, each one of us must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a lot to unpack in this sentence. Each one must give as he's given, as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I was thinking, what does it look like when we give reluctantly or under compulsion? And I immediately thought of, When I pay my taxes, I have to do this thing where every quarter I have to send in an actual check and I have to write this check out, you know, United States Treasury. And I am reluctant and under compulsion. There is no joy in writing that check. Does anyone feel joy on April 15th? No. And sometimes when we give to the church, when we give to God, we give in the same way, reluctantly or under compulsion. Well, I guess they got to make their budget. Right, And let me say, if that's how you give, when you give to the church, if you give to God, you're missing the point. God loves a cheerful giver as he has decided in his heart. That word decided in the Greek, if I could be so bold with the ESV translators, should have probably been translated as, um, as realized. When we realize in our hearts, we will give cheerfully. When we realize what God in Christ has done for us, when the coin drops in our hearts, of how poor we were apart from Christ and how generous he's been to us. That coin will drop on our hearts and we will be so full of gratitude and cheer that we will want to give in the way that we have been given to. It's a grateful response, not a reluctant response when we give to God. We say, thank you, Lord, for paying my debt. I will give cheerfully. I will give joyfully because I realize that all that I have comes from you. I was trying to think of some examples of cheerful giving. And as the Lord would have it in his timing, last weekend I saw two very clear examples. The first one was on Saturday night. I was invited to go to Don O'Neill's birthday party. Don is here sitting in the cool kids' seats in the back pew, almost the back pew back there. Don, uh, Don turned 50, and because he's so much older than me, he's so much wiser. And... Uh, I always say that he's so much older than me because he's so much more fit than me, and I'm envious. I can't believe. 
Anyway, Don's turning 50, and he invited a lot of people. He's from New Jersey. He invited people from all over the region. And here's an example of cheerful giving. For his 50th birthday party, he didn't say, come celebrate me at my birthday party and how awesome I am. Bring me gifts. Make me happy with lots of things. No, on the invitation, it said, in lieu of gifts, please give, please donate to my church's vision in Stamford. Please give to the Stamford Project. And there was a link right there on the invitation to our church's website so that his friends and family, instead of just serving him, would give to this cause that God has given us. I have a picture of Don's birthday party from last week. (laughs) There was a certain joy about the birthday party, and I think part of the reason was that the pretense of the whole party was not about Don, but it was about this larger vision, this expansion of the church in Stanford. How cool is that? That was Saturday night. And then on Sunday, I came into this room where we had a vocal concert, a vocal recital that our minister of music, Leon, put on. Some of you were there, and you know how amazing and special that it was. You can put up that picture now, Max. We had these world-class vocalists come and sing. I mean, when I say world-class, I mean these people were amazing. I could have listened to them for three more hours and then asked for more. A couple of you who were there, you know how good it was. Tahasha. Oh my goodness, it was so good. And it wasn't just a vocal concert. It wasn't so that we could clap and say how amazing these people are. No. Leon, the pretense of the concert was it was a concert just like Don's birthday to support Stanford, to support our new church that we're trying to launch, that we're planting in Stanford. Don't come just to celebrate yourselves, but to do this larger thing, this sacrificial generosity, this cheerful giving. And I didn't even know this until Tuesday morning. But the four world-class vocalists that we heard from, they all volunteered their time. Most of the time, musicians get paid for when they show up and sing or play. Not these guys. Think about all the hours of rehearsal, all the things that they did. The the art was so good. Really good art has this effect. It kind of takes us outside of ourselves, doesn't it? When you hear a really good song, you kind of go to another place. When you see a painting, when you see a good movie, you go somewhere in your mind. Really good art does that. And the combination of that with focusing on other, raising money for other, supporting a new church plant so that the residents of the city of Stanford can know the love of God through the ministry of Jesus Christ and what we call the gospel. It was probably my favorite concert I've ever been to. Thank you, Leon, for putting it on. It was awesome. These are examples of cheerful giving. Neither Leon nor Don gave reluctantly or spitefully, or begrudgingly, they gave cheerfully. This is the invitation that God's giving us here. God loves a cheerful giver. And you might be wondering, how is a person able to get there? Maybe you've never been able to kind of get there in your mind. How can you give cheerfully? How are you able to do that? The answer comes in verse 8. Look what it says with me in verse 8. God is able... See this? We in our own instincts, our own flesh, our own human capacity, we probably could never get to a place where we're truly sacrificially thinking of others. We're kind of obsessed with ourselves by nature. But God is able to do this in us and through us. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see where the good work begins, it's not with us, it's with the grace of God. 
As it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, the people who originally received this letter from the Apostle Paul, they might have been a little confused at this point. They might have thought, now, Paul is talking about righteousness. He's talking about gratitude. He's talking about grace. He's talking in spiritual terms. But is he, is he just trying to raise money here? Is that really the purpose of this letter? Is he trying to raise money to, between the churches in Macedonia and Corinth? And maybe you are sitting in your pew this morning thinking, oh, I know what Pastor Nathan's doing. He's fundraising. <laughs> Maybe you grew up in a church or around the month of October, you had stewardship Sunday. Is that all this is? Is this really just about money so that we can raise the budget for the church, the needs of the church? Is this about spiritual realities or financial realities? The answer is yes. It's both. In the economy of God, it's all blended together. It's all mixed together. Look what he says in verse 12. For the ministry of this service, the sacrificial generosity, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, or you might fill in the line there, the church budget. It's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, our wallets and our hearts are not separated in the economy of God. He wants both, and they are related. And I was trying to think of a good example of this, this blending of, yes, not only supplying the needs of the church, but also overflowing in these spiritual realities like gratitude, thanksgiving, generosity, grace. And we have a perfect and pristine example right here from this church. It happened last June. We've already told this story like a hundred times, and we're probably going to tell it a thousand more because it's worth retelling. But it perfectly illustrates how God wants our hearts and our wallets, and he doesn't separate the two, and they're all blended together, the needs of the ministry and the spiritual realities that come through sacrificial generosity. If you were around last June, you'll remember this. It's the uh, end of our fiscal year in June. And we have roughly almost a $3 million a year budget if you include missions. And at the end of the fiscal year, every year, we're in this massive hole and we have to communicate to the congregation, hey, we have like half a million dollars more to go. Let's give this together to God. But last June, this amazing thing happened. It was the beginning of June and the treasurer, Jamie McNabb, and I both emailed Sheila, our executive director. I said, Sheila, what's our, what's our target for June? How much money do we need to bring in to, to complete the fiscal year? And she sent us back this number. I want to show you this slide. You saw this in the bulletin last June. Max, if you can put that up. See this red number down here in the bottom left? She said, well, to complete our fiscal year goal, we still need $777,777. And both Jamie McNabb, the treasurer, and I, we both immediately emailed Sheila back and said something like, okay, that's hilarious. What's the real number? She said, no, 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 this is the actual number. This, when you add up all that we've given and all that we still need to give, it's 777777. Now, in the Bible, the number seven usually is an indicator of God's presence, especially when the number seven is repeated three times, 777. It usually means God is calling. 
And this is how I felt on June 1 last year. I felt like my phone rang. And it was God. <laughs> I'm being serious with you. It felt like that. And, you know, it was like 777 the Hello? <laughs> and then I had to share the phone call with you all. And I said to you last June, I said, I think God wants our attention. God's calling us. This number is him. And I believe that what he's saying is, I have your hearts. I also want all of you, including your wallets. And here's the coolest thing that happened. You can take this slide down though, Max. Boy, did this congregation answer the call. People started giving, as we always do in June, to fill the fiscal year goal. And our, the woman we have on staff who um, you know, takes in all the gifts, she came to me a few days later and she said, Hey, Pastor, I know you're not supposed to know who gives what. We have blind giving here. She said, So I'm not going to give you any names, but I have to tell you this. Gifts are starting to come in. Offerings are starting to come in. And some people are writing checks for $777. Some for $77. Somebody wrote $77,777. And the money just started coming in with the number seven on them. And I sat back in my chair and I thought, this is the coolest church ever. <laughs> this is the coolest congregation. You know what that means? It means God called us and we picked up and we answered the call. We answered the call. And we collectively, by God's grace, through his generosity in us, we gave even more than we needed that month. That's amazing. That's God. We can't get to sacrificial generosity on our own because our instincts turn us inward so much. But by God's grace, when we realize what he's done for us paying our debt, the more we focus on the confession of the gospel, as it says in verse 13, the more we will give generously to others. This story really isn't about our church. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. That's where Paul ends the paragraph here. I love verse 15. He's trying to think of how to wrap up his thoughts here as he's writing this letter, as God's communicating to us. Look where it refocuses us at the end. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word inexpressible. I'm just picturing the Apostle Paul writing. He's got his quill. He's got his parchment paper, whatever he was using. And he's thinking, i got to finish this thought to the church in Corinth and refocus on Christ. Thanks be to God for his profound gift. He's thinking about the cross here. He's thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. His amazing gift. No, none of these words could capture what Christ has done for us on the cross. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. There are no words. There's only awe. There's only worship when we consider what Jesus did for us by dying in our place, by paying the debt we cannot repay. And it's possible that you're here today, maybe you're new to church, maybe you haven't been in a while, and maybe that awe for what God has done for you on the cross is all you need to hear today. Knowing that it was your sins and mine that he paid for. That's what we call the gospel. It's the good news. We don't have to pay the punishment our sins deserve. Jesus did it. It's an inexpressible gift. There are no words to describe it. 
I have a feeling, though, I have a sense that the more all of us do that, if we leave this place in a moment just in awe and holy reverence of what happened for us on the cross, if that's our main focus, if we keep focusing on him and the confession of the gospel and what's been done for us in Christ, that the coin will drop in our hearts and we will together become even more cheerful givers as we meditate on, as we experience, as we saturate in the reality of his inexpressible gift. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.